Well, there's a phase when, well, maybe it kind of still happens, but there was a phase when Hudson, our five-year-old, was going through uh, a throwing the food on the floor phase. I can't remember, it was two, three years ago. And so it was all the time food went on the floor. And he had the really bad habit of, when he was done, he would just take his plate and like throw it on the floor. It's like, I'm done with this. No, I don't need any more. And he would just throw it on the floor. And we'd be like, no, we could talk it through with him. Try to say like, okay, buddy, like you don't throw it on the floor. It makes a big mess. Just leave it here. We'll move it out of your way if you need to move it out of the way. And we'd talk it through. And it didn't really work. And uh, Katie's sisters, um, who are all older than her, my wife, um, said, well, just ignore it. Like, it'll go away. And he'll stop. And if we make a big deal of it, it's giving him attention. And then he has reason now and motivation to keep throwing it on the floor. It's just like, hey, mom and dad, pay attention to me when I do this. It's kind of fun watching them pick up all my food off the floor. Um, and it gives them the sense of control. And so we uh, took their advice. Okay, let's just not focus on it. Not make a big deal about it. Just, you know, it goes on the floor and we'll just be like, oops. And, or, you know, pick it up and put it somewhere else and not talk to him about it. And it did work that the less we focused on it, the less he did it. And this introduced us to that idea, to the idea that uh, kids actually might continue to do something to get attention, even if it's negative attention. It's like, hey, there's a sense of control here. Uh, people pay attention to me. It's kind of fun to see how, you know, ruffled mom and dad get. And so that negative attention can motivate kids to do something. Uh, and it, if we bring attention to undesired behavior, can make it worse. And so another principle in, uh, connection with this is you find what you look for, um, whether you're looking for good behavior or bad behavior. A lot of people will say you find what you're looking for in other people, in kids, you know, co-workers, friends. If you're looking for them to be messing up, to doing something you don't want them to do, you're going to find it. If you're looking for people, you know, kind of catching them doing something good, if you're looking for that, you're going to find it. And uh, there's this parenting organization we really enjoy, and they say focus is fertilizer. What you put your focus on is like fertilizing that thing and it's going to grow. So focus on something if you want it to, to grow in somebody else or in yourself. And so whatever behavior we would want more of in our kids, they would say focus on that and praise it rather than overly focusing on negative attention. Um, and whether you agree with that or not, it's just you know some <laughs> principles out there and we found it worked for us. Um, but why is this? Why is it that if you focus on something, if you notice something in somebody else, it kind of becomes like fertilizer that makes that thing grow? And the reason is because we want to be noticed. We, it's something inside of us that we want people to notice us. We want people to, to see us, to appreciate us, to affirm us, to approve of us, to adore us and praise us. We want to be noticed. That's part of being human is that we want somebody to be paying attention to us and uh, taking notice of what uh, we're like, what we're doing. And we want to be special in someone's eyes. And if we can't get that for doing good things, we'll find another way to get that attention. And you might look at, well, we have likes on Facebook. Just here's some examples of ways we like to be noticed. We post something on Facebook. We want likes and comments. Like if you shared some really big news that happened to you or for your family and you like put it out there on Facebook, you'd be totally, you're like wanting to celebrate with people, right? And if nobody responded, nobody liked it, nobody commented, you'd be like, oh, well, what the heck? Like I wanted to, people to join in on this with me, to appreciate it with me, to notice it, that this happened for me. Like maybe I got a new job or something. And we have performance reviews at work. And we might hope someone comments on our new haircut or our new clothes. We might like if somebody comes to our house that they compliment our garden or our home, our decorations. Um, we really want people to say, you know, good job. Like if you're at work or uh, in your family, like you've done a whole lot of stuff that you're thinking like, I've done a really good job here. 
I've put in my best effort. I think it was a good outcome, and nobody at work noticed it noticed it or appreciate it, you'd be like, well, I don't know if I like working here. I'm feeling really disappointed. We might get jealous or resentful when other people are noticed, and we want to be noticed by people, and we want people to pay attention to us. And the problem is that it's really easy for what's good in us and other people to go unnoticed, to only see what's missing or what's wrong, to take people for granted, to, be, to feel unappreciated, and we feel all the time, I want people to notice me, to appreciate me, to praise me. And yet often people can tend to see what's wrong, what we're missing. Or they kind of only see the big things we do, not all the little things. And so we don't get noticed for a lot of the things we do. And I've, I've read that criticism uh, weighs 10 times more than affirmation. I've even heard up to 20 times more. Um, that if somebody criticizes you and then praises you right next to each other, the praise is just going to be like, whoop, flop like a feather. And that criticism, criticism is going to weigh on you. And we try to like mitigate this, right, with the Oreo. Like, say something nice, then give the feedback, the negative feedback, then say something nice. And it's kind of like, if I sandwich it in there, like, that'll hopefully help somebody swallow it. But still, that's only two good things. And if it, you need ten to outweigh that criticism, it's like, and sometimes we can feel like, well, uh, this person's just saying something nice to me. So they can say something harmful to me or not harmful, but like, critical feedback, and it's like, well, I didn't really like that you said that to me. That didn't really work for me to feel better about this. And so we're given the advice, get thick skin, let it roll off your back, uh, don't take it personally. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. But really, they do, right? <laughs> People's words do hurt us. Like, they can actually hurt worse than sticks and stones, about getting, you know, whacked and, or hurt in some way. It's like that... Uh, emotional pain that can happen to us, we can carry with us for the rest of our lives. And so what people think of us matters. It matters to us. As much as we might be like, well, I just got to let this not matter to me. Don't let it get to me. It's like, but it does. And we have a really hard time with, with that. We're in this series that's just going to be uh, three weeks. We're in the second week called Lessons on God's Love. And um, I was on sabbatical for eight weeks this summer. And when I come back from kind of long uh, breaks like that away from the church, I just like to kind of not start something super new, like do something to um, help us all get reconnected again. And so I thought, you know, during sabbatical, what I did was I went back through this journal I had been keeping for about seven years. And a lot of it was uh, just me journaling about trying to understand God's love. I felt like God was on this, had me on this love journey of like, yes, I know about God's love and I have felt it. But there was just areas of my life where I was like, I don't feel loved in this circumstance. I don't feel loved when I do this. I don't feel loved when that happens. And so there's like gaps. There's like, I feel really loved now. And then there might be a gap of like, I'm not feeling super loved, not feeling close to God. And then there'd be like, okay, I'm feeling loved again. And sometimes it'd be my own fault. Like, okay, I, was, I had a good streak. I had a week of like, I wasn't doing any major sins. I wasn't doing anything bad, didn't hurt anybody. I was doing all the things I'm supposed to do, praying and reading my Bible. And, you know, maybe I even talked to somebody about Jesus, and they were like, yay, like, that sounds really awesome. And it's like, that was a good week. But then the next week, I kind of break the streak. I've missed my Bible reading, didn't pray. And it's like, now I feel less close to God. Does God still, is he still close to me? Is he still like me? Does he still love me? And so I felt like God had me on this love journey. And so really, this, these three weeks are sharing three lessons that have helped me on that journey and it's like I can't replicate it for you guys like I over seven years I felt like I'd gotten like hit this milestone I was like well what all contributed to this and I have like these two pages of all the things that whether it was a book whether it was like one thing somebody said whether it was an experience and I just 
started writing it all down. It's like, there's no way to reproduce what God did in me. I can't give you, here's the program if you want to feel God's love. It was just all this, you know, random, not random, but, you know, things that were just, you can't program it, you can't schedule it. But I wanted to share these three lessons. And so several years ago, on this journey, I was asking, is God proud of me? Is God pleased with me? Does he ever feel like, that's my boy? Like, does he ever say that to me, excited that, like, I'm his kid, he's proud of me? Is he ever happy with me? And if so, why? And about what? Is he ever like, oh, I, just, I just love this kid. Is it God ever like that, just proud that I'm his son? That was the question I'm asking. And what does, the question is, what does God see when he looks at us? What does he notice about us? Does he overlook the bad and only see the good? Or does he overlook the good and only see the bad? Or is it kind of like a mix? Well, I see both of them, and he kind of deals with both of them. What does God see? And I felt like, for me, I mean, kind of one of the things that I always feel is I've, I've never done enough, and what I've done isn't good enough. So, like, every time God would look at me, it's like, well, you haven't done enough. But, God, I did this well, but it wasn't good enough. So it's like, is there ever any reason God would look at me or you and be pleased with us, be excited that you're his kid? So the question I want to give you for this morning is, uh, is God ever pleased with you? If so, why? You can write that down if you want or just you know, kind of hold it in your head. Is God ever pleased with you? If so, why? Is God ever pleased with you? And if so, why? We're going to look at kind of one passage that's like our, our base passage, and it's uh, Luke chapter 3, verses 21 through 22. Um, let me tell you the page it's on. If you lost it, it's with Connor. Page 859, Luke chapter 3, verses 21 through 22. Um, there are black Bibles in the center of the room there if you need one of them. But what happens in this passage is that Jesus uh, is about to start his public ministry, and he comes to John the Baptist, who's been kind of, he's, John the Baptist's role was like, he's kind of rolling out the red carpet for God to return to his people, the people of Israel. And so John the Baptist is like, I'm preparing the way for God to come. I'm getting all you people ready. And he's telling people, turn from the way you're living and turn toward God and get baptized as like a, a symbol of that, that I'm turning from my old way of life. I'm being dunked under this water, which is washing me. I'm dying to my old way of life. I'm being brought up to live a new life, clean and forgiven for God. And so he's preparing the way uh, by baptizing people. And then Jesus comes to John the Baptist and says, you need to baptize me now. And at first he's kind of like, well, wait a second, Jesus, like you're, you're the Messiah, you're the Christ, you're the, the chosen one. Like, I'm not supposed to be baptizing you. And Jesus is like, no, this is how it's supposed to be. And when Jesus does get baptized, kind of identifying himself with all the people of Israel who are also getting baptized and is brought up out of the water, and we're told that there's this voice that from heaven that says this, or depending on which gospel country you're reading, either this or you, you are my beloved son, with you I'm well pleased. And as it's said, um, the Holy Spirit comes down from heaven um, in looking like a dove, not as a dove, but kind of like a dove floating down onto Jesus as he's hearing these words, you are my beloved son, with you I'm well pleased. And so he tell, God tells Jesus these two things. First, you are my beloved son, which is, this is who you are. This is your identity. This is the base from which you're going to live your whole life. As a beloved son, you are going to go about your ministry for me, what I've sent you here to do. And then secondly, with you I am well pleased. And we might say, well, of course, 
you could say that about Jesus. Uh, he never did anything wrong, right? Like, of course God could be pleased with Jesus. Jesus never said no to what God commanded. Uh, he never said yes to what God forbids. He always did God's, uh, what God wanted, God's will. He's a perfect son. And so when God looks at Jesus, there's nothing wrong to see. No bad thoughts, no bad actions, no bad attitudes, no bad uh, feelings. It's just when he looks at Jesus, he sees his perfect son. So of course he can say, Jesus, with you I'm well pleased, like you've got it together. But what's amazing is that when we trust in Jesus, what we are told very clearly in the Bible, when you surrender to Jesus to say, uh, you're going to be my way to reconnect with God, that you've paid uh, the price of my forgiveness so I can have a reconciled relationship with God. When we do that, we're brought into the same status and standing with God as Jesus. And so one of the things I wrestled with was, this is what God says to Jesus as his beloved child. And so if we're brought now into the same standing and status with God as Jesus, with the same identity, is it that God now says this to us, you are my beloved son, you are my beloved daughter, with you I am well pleased. And I could get the love part, like, yeah, okay, like, you know, unconditional love, like that works, but has God ever pleased with me? Is he ever proud of me? And it's easy to see, okay, I'm your beloved child, but, you know, I'm kind of like the kid that you're always mad at, right? You're always getting sent to the corner. You're always never pleased with us. And I want to ask the question today, like, does God say the second part? He says, you're my beloved child, but does he say the second part? But just first, let's talk about you're my beloved child. So that's going to be our message. You're my beloved child, with you I'm well pleased. These two things that God says to Jesus. So you're my beloved child. Not everyone is a child of God. I'm not everyone in the world, I mean, because you need to enter God's family through adoption, which tells us that we are not God's children, and we need to be adopted as God's children. And what kind of people does God adopt, we can ask. Is it good people? People with potential? Is it like everyone from humanity gets lined up and God is like, ooh, that one looks like a winner. It's like, you know, picking for kickball or something at school. It's like God's picking through and then, you know, a bunch of us are not ever picked because we're not any good. We don't have it together. Um, so does God pick us, you know, people with potential, people who are worthy, people who are deserving, people who have earned it? And the, the answer is no. And there's a whole bunch of passages that put two truths together um, right next to each other. One is basically how bad off we were and are and God's love side by side. And so let me um, give you just a couple of these. Um, Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3. I, I'm sorry, I don't have the page number. I'm not, we're not really going to spend a lot of time on these, but I'm just going to read. Ephesians 2, 1 through 4 um, says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. We don't have time to go into what all that means, but I think you can get a sense, just if you understood a couple of those phrases, that this is not good news. <laughs> this is like you're in a this is like a diagnosis, sitting in the doctor's office and saying, You're basically dead. You're dead in your trespasses, you're a dead man walking, like it's coming. You're 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 done for. You're children of wrath, you're chil children of disobedience, that our way of life was contrary to God, against God, turning from him. But then in verse four but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And so he makes very clear uh, 
when he starts off in verse 5, even when we are dead in our trespasses. So it wasn't verses 1 through 3. Yeah, verses 1 through 3 were true of me, but I got it together. You know, I got my act together. And then now God put his love on me. You know, it says even when we are in verses 1 through 3, God loved us. By grace we've been saved. Nothing of ourselves that we have done. And so two things together. Our condition, which was bad, and God's love. Romans 5, verses 6 through 8. just going to read it and mention a few things. Romans 5, 6 through 8. While we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God chose his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Same emphasis. Let me, you know, let me make clear. While we were still sinners, God loved us so much that he would die for us. Not, and we, he says that we were weak, uh, that we are ungodly. And he's like, well, sure, maybe someone would maybe die for a righteous person or a good person. You guys, we aren't that. We were sinners, weak, ungodly, turned against God, but he loved us. And John 3.16, of course, for God so loved the world, not meaning like the globe, but the world as in our human society that is turned against God. There's two meanings of world in the Bible. One is just like, you know, the dirt we walk on. Another is the society, human culture that's turned against God. So it says God so loved the world, this whole uh, humanity that had turned from him, that he loved us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life. So two truths put together. And the best of human love, uh, like kind of the best we can get, we saw it in Romans 5, 6 through 8 there. You, somebody might die for a good person. Somebody might die for a righteous person. Kind of like if you have a a soldier who's like, well, you know, why do you risk your life for them? Well, they would do it for me. Meaning, you know, I, I know that this person's got my back too. They'd do the same thing for me. Or we look in uh, Luke uh, verses, uh, chapter 6, verses 27 through uh, 36. I'll read that for you. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. Why? For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. And so basically, the best of human love, what's the best of human love? Is that we, it's transactional. We love those who will love us. We love people who will pay us back. We lend to people who can return it. That you might die for a righteous person or a good person, because they would do the same for me. That's the best of human love. It's kind of this transactional relationships. Those who are lovable, who will love me back, who will benefit me. But the contrast with God's love we saw for his enemies. Here's your, where you were at, enemy, ungodly unrighteous, turned against God, disobeying him. And then God showed his love for us that we're ungrateful. And he shows love for people who can't pay him back. And you could basically sum up the whole story of the Bible as this. God refusing to stop loving people who stopped loving him. But that's God's love. Human love is us continuing to love people who are continuing to love us. God's love is he, stopped, he refuses to stop loving people who've stopped loving him. In Ephesians 1.4, we talked about adoption, being adopted. 
uh, we're told that in love God chose us to be adopted. Why? To the praise of his glorious grace. Why did he choose us? He didn't line everybody up and say, like, I picked that one and that one, that one looks good. This one looks like he has potential. No. To the praise of his glorious grace means it's unearned and undeserved. It's not something that we've done, but that God has blessed us with his love uh, because that's what he's like. And some people will, will say one way to look at it is, well, when we trust in Jesus, now we're, there's this phrase the Bible uses over and over again called, now we're in Christ. Like, here's, we, here's where we were, here's Jesus, but now we are in Christ. And so we're standing before God from the same place that Jesus is. And sometimes this will get, I think, applied in a little bit, a little bit too far by saying, when God looks at us, he sees Jesus. He doesn't see your sin, he sees Jesus. Which is a little, for me, disappointing. Like, wait, like, so God never sees me? Like, he never looks at me and, like, thinks about what I'm like? He just sees Jesus? Like, I'm kind of, like, in a Jesus suit or whatever, and, like, we're all in there and he only sees Jesus? I think a better way to say that would be uh, when God looks at us, he sees us as he sees Jesus, in the same way that he sees Jesus. He sees a beloved child, his beloved son, his beloved daughter. That now we have the status, I, not me, that he only sees Jesus when he looks at me, but now he sees me as he sees Jesus, that I have Jesus' status and standing before him as a beloved child. Uh, and there's, in John chapter 1, um, when it's talking about, well, what did Jesus come to do? It said, all who receive him were given the right to become children of God like he is. And so God brings us into that place. And so God communicates the status, you are my beloved child, through the Spirit, just like he did to Jesus, that you are my beloved child, and as he did so, the Spirit came and rested on Jesus, uh, saying to him, uh, I'm sealing you with my love. But the second part, you're my beloved child, the second part is with you I'm well pleased. Does God look at us and is he pleased with us? And there's really two ways to please someone. First, you can please someone by what you do. And there's plenty of passages in the Bible where it talks about God being pleased with us um, by our actions. Let me just um, read a couple of them. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Well, this is, it doesn't use the word please, but it says, uh, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. And so we can grieve God. Our actions can grieve God. What we do can grieve him. Uh, Ephesians uh, 5.10 says, uh, Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord, meaning there are things we can do that are pleasing to the Lord, that are pleasing to God. Uh, we can also walk worthy or unworthy of what God has called us to be. Um, Ephesians chapter 4, 1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. We've been called to something. Uh, Philippians chapter uh, 1, verse 27 says, walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, that we've had this good news of what Jesus has done for us. Now walk in a manner worthy of that. Colossians 1, 10 says, I walk worthy of God, fully pleasing to him. And so we can please God with our actions. We can... And we can grieve him. We can displease or please him with what we do. That we can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can walk unworthy of uh, the calling God has given us. But the first way you can please someone is with what you do. Second way is with who you are. And this is so we can have both of these happening at the same time. And God does show that he is very pleased with his people. Uh, in the Old Testament, the term used in Exodus 19, when God brings the people of Israel out, uh, w- ex- gives, uh, the Exodus from Egypt, 
he brings them to Mount Sinai. He's giving them his laws. But before he says that, you amongst all the people of the earth are my treasured possession. And what's it like to be God's treasured possession? That Think about things in your home that uh, and treasured possession also doesn't necessarily mean it has to have high value to somebody else, right? Like there's some things that I have that you would just throw away probably. But to me, it's like, no, I, that is a treasured possession of mine. It doesn't have a lot of value in other people's eyes, but for God to say, you are my treasured possession is, doesn't necessarily mean how valuable we were. And that he's like, no, I just need to have this thing, like, you know, a piece of gold. It's like, you're going to f- work, you know, for hours to find that in your lawn because it's worth a lot. But if you dropped a Cheeto, you wouldn't look for a long time. But it's like, God makes us his treasured possession because he treasures us. That's why we're his treasured possession. Uh, Zephaniah 317, uh, that God saying to his people, he sings and dances to his people, exulting, saying, I'm just so, you know, pleased that you are my kid. And uh, Katie and I will sometimes sing songs to uh, Hudson and Ezra, like, uh, it's like, Hudson, I love you. I'm not a great singer, but Hudson, I love you. You're my favorite. And it's like trying to sing and, you know, over him of like, this is who you are. I'm so happy you are. Deuteronomy 7, God, uh, Moses is telling God's people, like, don't think that God brought you up because you are mightier or bigger than anybody else. No, he chose to set his love on you, which is not like he was just like, oh my gosh, they're so lovable, I need to love them. It was like he chooses to set his love on us. And you might think, well, I feel a little worse about that. I want to be like so lovely. Like God was like, you're so valuable, I can't let you go. But that's very like conditional because what if my value drops? What if, you know, is, would God say the same thing about Hitler, or somebody who's done horrible things, is it like, well, no, not the really bad people. God can't see value in them. But in me, you know, I'm kind of half and half. I'm kind of good, kind of bad. So you can see value in me. It's like, well, no, that's conditioned upon what we do and how valuable we make ourselves. Instead of God sets his love on us and he decides to tre- treasure us right, and adore us. First Peter 2.9, we're told we are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, people for his own possession. Ephesians 5.29, we're told that Jesus doesn't hate his body, that Jesus is the head uh, and we're the, the body of Christ, that Jesus doesn't hate his body, but cherishes it and nourishes it. Ephesians 1.18, we're told uh, that God sees us as the riches of his glorious inheritance. And so we want to be with God, and at the same time, God wants to be with us, that we are his glorious inheritance. What's he? We're waiting for our inheritance, and God is waiting for us to be his inheritance. And so to be God's child is to be treasured. To be loved by God is to be treasured by God, to be delighted in, to be adored, to be enjoyed, to be liked. And so for me, this is where it was really personal for me, is that I had this, kind of like this spectrum. And on one side it was, God's only happy I'm his son, when he's happy with what I do. That's the side. God's only happy I'm his son. When he's happy with what I do. And then the other side would be, God is always happy I'm his son, even when he's not happy with what I do. And I felt like, you know, and then there's the middle. Like, so I felt like for a lot of my life I was living over here. Like, well, what's to be happy about, right? <laughs> I've never done enough. And what I've done isn't good enough. And so God's only happy I'm his son when he's, you know, happy with what I do. And when I felt this milestone, it was all of a sudden one day I realized I had gone over the middle. And it was like, no, I really like feel and believe that God is always happy I'm his son, no matter what I do. Like, it didn't matter what I did. He's still happy I'm his son, that he can be pleased that I'm his kid, 
even if he's not pleased with what I do. And so the, the kind of way I've, I've said it to myself is that God uh, always loves me even when he doesn't love what I do. It's like I can do lots of things that displease him. He still loves me. He still likes me. He still wants me to be his kid. Because who I am to him, his beloved son, matters more than what I do. And I live with this uh, kind of God gives us the doghouse treatment of like, okay, I've done bad. Master's bad, sends me out to the doghouse. And then after some amount of time, like of either he's going to cool down and then he's going to invite me to come back in. But it's like, you're in the doghouse and you've got to wait till he's not mad. And during that time, it'd be like, okay, God, like I messed up and I've got to get on this good streak again of good behavior. You know, I can't be howling when I'm out in the doghouse. You know, I'm probably going too deep in this metaphor. But I've got to behave in the doghouse. And then eventually, if I behave, he won't be mad anymore. And he'll be like, you can come back inside. And that's how I felt like God treated me. And maybe that's how you feel too. Is that when you do wrong, when you mess up, when you're not doing what you're supposed to do, uh, that you just have to stay out of God's presence and get on a good streak. You need to earn, deserve, coming, being able to come back to him. And this is not at all what Jesus' image is for God. And actually, the middle picture here is a picture of Luke 15, the prodigal son. I went back to that image over and over again because when I've done bad, do I get sent to the doghouse? That image of what happens in Luke 15 with the story of the prodigal son is that the son really messes up, dishonors his dad, wastes a bunch of money, embarrasses his dad. And when he's coming back, his dad's not sitting on the porch saying, well, this ought to be good. Like, he's going to have to work his way. If he, if he thinks he's coming in this house again, if he thinks I'm going to acknowledge him, like, he's got another thing coming. No, his dad can't even wait. He runs out to him and embraces him. His son, who is dirty and stinky and doesn't, doesn't play, living with the pigs and wanting their food, it's like his son comes back, this wretch, this mess, and the father runs out to him. And so I kept going back to that image over and over again. This is what God is like when I'm sinful, when I'm prideful, when I'm selfish, when I'm weak, when I'm needy. This is what he is like when I'm a mess, is that he doesn't send me to the doghouse. He runs out to me to embrace me. In this image of being uh, just um, ready, eager, waiting to forgive and embrace. And is that how you see God? Is that he's ready and eager and waiting to forgive you and embrace you? It's not like, I need to be forgiven again. He's like, well, I mean... How many times am I going to have to forgive you for this? It's like, no, he's eager to do it, ready to do it. He's paid the price for it already in Jesus. And so there's another image that was helpful to me. And I was going to draw it on a whiteboard, but I forgot my whiteboard. So imagine two, two kind of graphs, um, and they're both bar graphs, right? Well, I didn't explain it yet. A bar graph would be like you get the little blocks of color and they go up different levels. Yes, okay, bar graph. So she, she was a math teacher, so she knows things. Um, so imagine a, a bar graph, but the, whole, the one side is completely full. And this is my status and standing with God is loved, cherished, adored, treasured. That's full. This side, my status and standing with God, does not go up and down on this side, which is my obedience my performance, like, okay, good performance day, so my status and standing with God went up. Oh, no, bad performance day, my, so performance is low, obedience is low, so now my stand, status and standing with God went down. This would be way better if there was an actual whiteboard there. But um, our status and standing with God doesn't go up and down based on what we do. That That is always full, and I can 
please and displease him with what I do, but he's always pleased with who I am, with who you are, that you are his beloved child. So if we think about that question, is God ever pleased with you? And if so, why? Well, the reality is, if you've trusted in Jesus, you're God's beloved beloved son or daughter with whom he is well pleased. Pleased with who you are. Like, I just can't, you know, it's almost like, I wouldn't even be able to say this unless I think it's from the Bible, that when God says we're his treasure possession, it's almost like he's saying, like, I can't believe how lucky I am. And it almost might sound like, you can't say that. Like, God doesn't talk like that. It's like, but that's like what the picture the Bible has for us. is like, my treasure possession, my glorious inheritance, these kids that I cherish and adore is like, I can't believe this is such a blessing that he calls us his kids. We're special in his eyes. And how can that be? It's because you aren't what determines what God thinks of you or how he feels towards you. He determines that your relationship with him is based on grace, undeserved and unearned favor. He's always for you, not against you. And grace means that God is for us even when he has every reason to be against us. That God is for us even when he has every reason to be against us. So I want you to just write down these two sentences. Um, You could do it on your phone or a bulletin or a piece of paper. And think about how you would complete this. God loves me more when I blank. God loves me more when I blank when I don't give in to my addictions, when I don't waste my time on Facebook, when I pray, when I read my Bible. God loves me more when I blank. On the other side of that would be God loves me less when I blank. God loves me less when I don't come to church services. God loves me less when I don't give money to Him. God loves me less when whatever it would be for you. I just want to give you like maybe a minute to just think about how you would fill, fill those in. So I'll let you I'll do that in silence now. I want to add one more that, not to fill in now, but you just did two things which are basically like, it's not true, God loves me more when I blank, God God loves me less when I, whatever you put in there is not true. And so what you can change it to is, God loves me no matter what, and then fill in what I do, what I feel, what I think, what I say, what I believe, no matter, you know, God loves me no matter uh, what I believe about his goodness or his trustworthiness right now. God loves me no matter... Uh, what I feel toward him or toward other people, being angry or, God, I don't get this. Why are you putting me through this? Like, God still loves you in those feelings. And God loves you no matter uh, what you do, what you feel, think, say, or believe. 
God loves you even when he doesn't love what you do. So I just want to close with one very small story. There was a friend um, that I was meeting with, kind of like in a learning group online, and we would share updates about our lives. And I've had his permission to share this. You may have heard me share it before. But he was telling our group, like his teenage son, he had discovered was looking at pornography. And in my mind, I'm like, oh, man, like, you know, I wonder what he's going to do, what he's doing about that. Like, that's kind of, that's a big deal, like discovering that. He must be so disappointed, um, perhaps mad, of like, oh, how could he do this? And then later in that conversation, he said something like, I'm just so blessed to have these kids. Like, I just love my sons. And for me, that was like, wait, those two things didn't go together for me. Like, I caught my son looking at pornography. I'm so thankful to have this kid as my son. And those did not go together for me. And that, when I was telling you about the list of things that I, God had brought into my life that helped me believe in his love and feel it more, that was one of the things, that that little story of like, wait a second, this earthly human dad is expressing this kind of love to his kid that really messed up. And I was like, that didn't make sense to me. Like, if that's what he can show, how much more can God show that to me? And so, who are you to God? What does he see you as? And sometimes we can say, well, I'm just a sinful piece of garbage. I'm a sinner. Well, no, that's actually not how God sees you. If you've trusted in Jesus, now how he sees you is, that is my beloved child. That's my beloved son or daughter with whom I'm well pleased. It's not like, well, I've gathered a whole bunch of wretched, ugly, garbage sinners into this room, and now I get to tell you each week how you're bad and how I still love you. It's like, no, God doesn't see you that way anymore. If you've trusted in Jesus, you're going from outside of his family to inside of his family. Now he only sees you as his beloved child, his beloved son or daughter, who does still sin, but he does not see you. Your identity is not a garbage, you know, piece of garbage, worthless piece of garbage, a sinner. That's not how he sees you anymore. And we enter into God's family at different levels, being able to believe God can love us no matter what. Some of us had amazing people early in our, early in our lives or in our growing up years that just showed us unconditional love. And some of us didn't, or some of us had a, a big mix. And so when we come into God's family, our ability to believe that God loves me no matter what, even when he doesn't love what I do, we come at different levels. And some of us, take, it takes longer, and that's okay. That's what Jesus is teaching us is, this is what God is like. And Jesus is wanting to help us to relate to God like he does. Let's pray. Father, what we've been talking about this morning is just almost, it's really too big for us to even get our heads around of how much you love us, that we see the best of human love, and it's so often transactional and conditional. And yet you show us a love that is no matter what love, or as Bob said, a still here love that it's always there that you love this world so much that you sent your son to pay for what we've done against you so we could be forgiven and reconciled. And so when we trust in him that we come into the same status and standing as he has with you, a beloved son or daughter, would you help us live from that and live into it as a church? In your son's name we pray. Amen.